Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, I've got a theory about something that happened recently on Canada's most watched show, Survivor on Global Plus. I'm Jeff Braun. We got our first look this week at a big movie coming next year. We'll talk about Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. Plus, there's a new reality show coming out that is based on one of the biggest and most deranged shows of all time. But we begin with the strike. Hollywood actors are celebrating the end of a nearly four-month-long strike that put many productions on hold. That is the sound of unionized actors in Los Angeles celebrating the end of the strike against major studios. Actor Marlo Sue says four months of picketing was worth it. We've been out there every day and we've become a family, but also like we want to get back to work. This means actors will be promoting their projects again. They'll be on talk shows and doing interviews for big movies leading into the holidays, like the Hunger Games prequel and the new Trolls movie. TV shows like Abbott Elementary and The White Lotus will likely resume production first. Movies like Deadpool 3 and the Gladiator sequel shut down early with the strike and will probably resume production quickly. I'm Archie Zaraleta. So more than 60,000 SAG-AFTRA members went on strike on July 14th, joining screenwriters who had walked off the job more than two months earlier. It was the first time the two unions had been on strike together since 1960. The studios and writers reached a deal that brought their strike to an end on September 26th. Now, as far as the actors is concerned, Chief Negotiator Duncan Crabtree Island says it's a groundbreaking agreement. The deal is valued at more than a billion dollars in gains over the term of the contract, which is by far the most we've ever achieved. Um, Second of all, I would point out that it has AI protections that I think position our members to be be able to rely on a safe and respectful implementation of AI in this industry. So not going to get into the, you know, all the details of the financials and whatnot of the the deal that was reached. Just happy that this thing did not drag on into the new year because eventually we're going to hit a speed bump where there's probably going to be a sudden like lack of content. Yeah, and the fir- it's funny how she mentioned in the Margie's or a letter report. The first thing I said when I heard the news was, "Oh, good. I wonder when Abbott Elementary's coming back." Oh yeah, because that's by far the show I miss the most. And uh, it's a nor- it's on ABC in the states, I believe, and on Global here in Canada. And it would have you know come back in September under regular circumstances. So if they're starting now or at the beginning, hopefully they can get some stuff done quickly that they can start rolling out shows maybe in late January or something like that, but here's hoping. I mean, the writers have been, they got their deal like a month ago, so hopefully they've had time to sort of get cracking on that front, and then some of the productions can catch up quickly. Yeah, the networks, I think, are among those who probably get hurt the most for this, because they they re- rely on that scheduled, Yeah, like they still have their fall season, and on most most, if not all, of their shows were just simply not there. That's why they went to the 90-minute episodes of Survivor and 90-minute episodes of The Amazing Race. And we've seen some extra game shows here and there. So, yeah, it'll be nice to see some of those shows get back. And hopefully, as you pointed out, get back quickly. And I don't think there's any reason why a show like Abbott Elementary couldn't get back to on the air quickly because, like... There's no special effects or anything. Just no, shoot the show and edit it and voila. They already got their sets and actors and everybody lined up to work. I, I The crew, I don't know. 
I guess the crews just weren't working because there wasn't a production, so I don't think they would have like lost crew members to a different production because there would have been another production. So yeah, it should be should be uh, quick going, and they would have had some screenplays ready to go. I would think even before the writers' strike began when that began. So yeah, so we'll just uh, obviously have to keep an eye on this yep. and find out because so many things have been delayed, and who knows when we'll see a lot of things. You know, stuff that's been delayed once may end up being delayed for other reasons down the road. So the one I'm looking forward to most is Deadpool 3, and that got delayed. So we'll have to see about that. Hmm. Let's have a look at what is new at the theaters this weekend. After a couple of delays, it's finally here. It was supposed to come out in February, but they swapped it with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So then it was supposed to come out in July, but it got pushed to November. We're talking about the Marvels. Captain Marvel, we need you to save the world. There she is. You're forgetting something. I'm invincible. Your powers only make me stronger. That's not good news. We have to stop her. This is the start of a new beginning. Marvels, rated PG-13, in theaters November 10th. So Brie Larson is back as the cosmic superhero Captain Marvel, who can fly and fly through space, is super strong, shoots energy beams. She's just a pretty awesome superhero. But it's also a sequel of sorts for WandaVision and Ms. Marvel, both Disney Plus shows, because uh, the, the... in this movie, Captain Marvel is joined by a character from WandaVision named Monica Rambeau, who has now developed some powers as a result of what happened in WandaVision, some energy-based powers, and she goes by the name Photon, and she's also joined by the titular character from the series Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan, played by the young Canadian actor Iman Vellani. So what's it about? Well, for some reason, these three characters somehow become interlinked when one of them uses their powers, they swap places with one of the others, no matter where they are. So if Captain Marvel's off in space, she can instantly find herself in Kamala Khan's closet. That's how the Ms. Marvel series ended. The new villain is Dar Ben, a woman with the hammer of Ronan the Accuser from Guardians of the Galaxy. And she appears set on tearing the universe apart. I don't know. She's opening wormholes to other worlds or something. Multiverse stuff, I guess. It's like 88 minutes long, which is kind of neat. It's getting okay reviews at 61%. Or I guess I should say its score is okay because some of the reviews I've read and watched are scathing. Its box office predictions are not great, for a Marvel movie in the 50 to 60 million range. It looks fun. I'm hearing it's kind of clunky. Samuel L. Jackson is back as Nick Fury working up in space with the team from Saber. So we'll see what we get from him after the disappointing summer series he was in, Secret Invasion. So, Jeff, what do you think? You going to see it? Yep, I got my tickets already. I'm actually kind of excited for this one. I'm one of the few people on the planet that enjoyed the Captain Marvel uh, movie. I really like Brie Larson. So uh, I'm excited for it because also I thought WandaVision and uh, Miss Marvel were two of the better MCU shows that we've seen along the way. So, uh, yeah, I'm all in on this one. Um, I, although, I mean, the thing I liked the most about Captain Marvel was the that it was set in the 90s, which obviously this one won't be. So <laughs> that's not going to be there for me. <laughs> but I, I don't care. I'm, I'm excited to go. I'm going this weekend. Yeah, I'll be there. 
We'll talk about more next week. Volani is, by all accounts, the standout of the film. I was watching one review, uh, a guy named Jeremy Johns on YouTube. He does great reviews. And he says he has not seen Ms. Marvel, the series. So this was his introduction to her as his character. And I think he's, the words he used were like, yeah, go forth and prosper, kid. Like, great job. Uh, so I think she's got a bright future ahead for her. Curious to see what Jeff has to say about the movie next week. I'm on the fence as to whether or not I'll go see this in the theater or just wait for it to pop up on Disney+. And speaking of Disney+, we should also mention concerning the season two finale of Loki. What could we have done differently? How much time do we have? Why, what's Loki got to do? What did you say? What's the plan? Answer the question. Have you heard about how if you fall into a black hole, you turn into spaghetti? No. Good. The less you know about that, the better. Don't miss the Loki Season 2 finale, streaming tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. That tonight was Thursday night. We record this show Thursday afternoon, so we have not seen it yet. But so far, I'm really enjoying it, although I have no idea where it's going, where it could go, what it could possibly mean for the MCU at large. And I'm hoping there's a big reveal in the season finale because we need this show to matter. It can't just be fun bells and whistles. It needs to have a point. So far, I can't quite see it. But I'm still enjoying it. Are you, like, all caught up through the first five episodes? Yeah, I'm all up to speed. I guess I need to watch the finale just in case it has anything to do with the Marvels. It probably won't, but you never know. They've done that before, right, where the MCU show, you had to watch the finale of whatever it was before the next movie came out kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah I'll get all caught up in that. I, I've been enjoying it. I also have no idea where it's going. <laughs> or most, about 80% of what I'm watching is like, what? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's entertaining, and it looks really good, too. So Yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been like fun. Uh, breakneck pace at times, which has been, like, really exciting. It's edge of your seat. And Tom Hiddleston is low-key is awesome. So yeah, everyone in that show is great. Yeah. And we also got to mention another movie out this weekend. I know Jeff's excited about The Holdovers. Starring Paul Giamatti. There was an incident when I was at Harvard with my roommate. He accused me of copying from his senior thesis. You got kicked out of Harvard for cheating? No, I got kicked out of Harvard for hitting him. What, like punched him out? No, nope, I hit him with a car. By accident. There you go, killer. The Holdovers. Rated R. In select theaters in New York and Los Angeles, October 27th. In theaters everywhere, November 10th. So what's this about, Jeff? Uh, it's Ball Giamatti plays a high school teacher at a, it's like a, uh, what do you call it? Like a private school? school? Yeah, prep school, a private school. And he's the one that gets stuck uh, staying on campus over the holidays with the kids who can't go home for Christmas or whatever it is. So it's him, another staff member, and it turns out uh, in the end just one other student, it looks like. And uh, it's, uh, they learn about life. <laughs> it's getting ex- it's getting great reviews. It's from Alexander Payne, who made uh, movies like Election and Sideways and About Schmidt. And uh, yeah, it's getting great reviews, and it's lots of awards buzz. And uh, Paul Giamatti is finally going to win an Oscar this year and all that. Oh, okay. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Up next, Jeff mentioned it off the top, and it's a, it's a movie coming out next year that... Honestly, neither of us were even sure that it was happening, never mind coming. So we'll tell you about that. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And the first trailer arrived this week for what will undoubtedly be one of the biggest movies of 2024, Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. (laughs) 
I'm telling you, it's going to be another hot one out there. In fact, there are heat alerts in effect for New Jersey, feeling like 100 degrees. Yes, it's a hot day until a cold front moves in. A really cold front. Everything in New Jersey and then New York turns to ice, like in the day after tomorrow in Geostorm. Turns out it's a supernatural thing, so we need the Ghostbusters. And in Ghostbusters Frozen Empire, we get a lot of them. It's a sequel to Ghostbusters Afterlife from a couple of years back. So that whole crew returns. Finn Wolfhard, McKenna Grace, Carrie Coon, and Paul Rudd, as well as the original Ghostbusters of Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, Annie Potts, and Bill Murray. The IMDb page also shows another original cast member, but they're not in the trailer, so I don't want to spoil that for those who might not know. There are some new additions this time around as well, with comedians and actors Kumail Nanjiani and Patton Oswalt in the trailer. IMDb describes the plot thusly, The Spanger family returns to where it all started, the iconic New York City firehouse, to team up with the original Ghostbusters who've developed a top-secret research lab to take busting ghosts to the next level. But when the discovery of an ancient artifact unleashes an evil force, the Ghostbusters, new and old, must join forces to protect their home and save the world from a second ice age. First time in New York history, people froze to death in the middle of July. What is it? The death chill. The power to kill by fear itself. Your veins turn to rivers of ice. Your bones crack. And the last thing you see is your own tear ducts freezing up. Like, literally scared to death? cool. I think I'm excited about this one. It looks pretty cool to me. I know a lot of people, you know, just crap all over every Ghostbusters sequel, but by and large I've enjoyed them. Um, They're never going to recapture the lightning in a bottle that was that first movie, so if you're still going in expecting that, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Either recalibrate those expectations or just don't go if it's going to bother you too much. I'm looking forward to finding out what this crazy winter monster might be all about and we will find out on March 29th. Love it when Paul Rudd does that excited laugh of his. It <laughs> sounds like the, what he did right out of uh, Civil War. Sounds like evil Santa Claus. Yeah. No, I'm excited about this, too. I, and it popped up on my YouTube algorithm, you know, just you know, went to the homepage, and I like to see what YouTube has for me, and I see this, and I think, is this like a like a fan-made thing? Yeah. And then I look at the channel and it was Sony. Like it wasn't because sometimes there's one channel in particular, I think Screen Culture. They do lots of cool stuff and I think they do the honest trailers. But um, I think it's their channel where they often will put up either like their own trailers or fan made trailers. I'm not entirely sure, but they're not real trailers. Like even though the, the movie might be real, they've just cut something together. You see that all the time. These, you know, f- people take footage from all kinds of different movies to slap together their own trailer uh for fun whatever i don't have a problem with it but this one i was just so caught off guard because i knew that they were talking about a sequel but i just forgot entirely about it and now here it is here's the trailer it looks pretty cool and you make a great point about the ghostbusters sequels like that that first movie was just so good and so perfect it doesn't matter what they do i almost wish they would just like let it go yeah just let it go because that's 
There's a bunch like that, right? Jaws was like that. That was followed by very disappointing sequels. Yeah. Uh, even as much as ah, the two of the Die Hard sequels are good, but they don't reach the heights of the first one, kind yeah. of thing. And there's, I mean, Hollywood's littered with movies like that. Even your beloved Matrix, you would you like the second, third, and fourth ones, but you know they're not as good as the first one, right? So, Correct. Same with Ghostbusters. Yeah, like Ghostbusters two. I really like the story, but the execution of the story. As I, because I went back and rewatched it and thought, well, that was all right, but it's just not. It doesn't even belong in the same ballpark. And the the one with the the female cast, I thought was okay. But and Ghostbusters Afterlife, I actually enjoyed that way more than I was expecting. I thought yeah. it was emotional and I, it was in a, a much different kind of setting. So it had a unique visual appeal to it that we hadn't seen from a Ghostbusters story. And uh, seeing them go back to New York is kind of cool. And like sort of violent like when everything froze there were like ice spikes popping up everywhere like how many people died by not just (laughs) freezing to death but probably getting impaled it's gonna be a lot even in that like in the first ghostbusters movie nobody dies right i don't think so i I don't think so either the librarian gets very scared and the ghostbusters get scared and two people turn into you know big giant dogs but then they turn back at the end spoilers for ghostbusters one but yeah (laughs) (laughs) But this is like in the trailers, like people froze to death. And it's like, wow, okay. Yeah, it's pretty dark for the Ghostbusters. But I got really excited too when I saw the original cast back when it was Dan Aykroyd explaining the death chill. I thought, oh, cool. I figured maybe they'd show up in the first one and pass the baton to the new generation. So that's pretty neat. Up next, hey, Jeff, watch that uh, Sly documentary. So we'll tell you about that. We'll tell you about this crazy new reality show. And then I have a theory about... Canada's favorite reality show. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And I checked out the new Netflix documentary about Sylvester Stallone this past week. It's called Sly. I had given up on acting. I was done. He wasn't cast in things because he was deemed uncastable. The rejection was my encouragement. At that point, I knew my fate was determined on the pen. The genius behind that. This was not an accident. This is the theater where Rocky premiered. My brother goes, this could be the best day or the worst day of your life. Something happened, something magical. There's a lot of good stuff in Sly, the documentary, but it did leave me feeling there could have been a lot more. It runs about 90 minutes, but a lot more than 90 minutes worth of interesting stuff has happened to Sylvester Stallone, and the truth is the movie just spends too much time on Rocky. I get that Rocky was a watershed moment in his life, but it's uh, it's too much. Um, and while it is a documentary, I got to say it is produced and hosted by Stallone, so it's much more of a here's how I want people to remember me kind of thing rather than some sort of journalistic undertaking. Arnold Schwarzenegger had a similar doc come out a couple of months ago, which was twice as long and frankly much better. I I do like the director that Sly got. This guy's name is uh, Tom Zimmy, but that's because he's done a lot of work with Bruce Springsteen, so I automatically think the guy's good. So yeah, it's Stallone through Stallone's eyes, and whatever he did not want to talk about, he did not talk about. There's nothing about his three wives, for example, save for some shots late in the game of him and his family in present day. So if you're hoping for him to, you know, relive his tab 
tabloid fodder days with Brigitte Nielsen. You are out of luck. Schwarzenegger did not shy away from a lot of that stuff in his documentary, which was also Arnold through Arnold's eyes. But Stallone literally says, I like happy endings, so shoot me. So he's a guy that tries to focus on the positive. And while he's shying away from some of the bad personal stuff, he does talk a lot about his various career struggles, especially the ones that, you know, ended up having happy endings. And again, a lot of it is focused on Rocky. I do like the bit about the movie Copland, the 1995 James Mangold film where Stallone plays against type as an out-of-shape loser cop who's a doormat to everyone. He had to hold his own in that movie against De Niro and Keitel and some others, and he did a great job. Uh, you know, the guy can act when actually called upon to do so. And for me, that's sort of been the most tragic part of his career. What could have been if he didn't just chase a lot of easy paychecks by starring in dumb, dumb action movies? Uh, however, I will say his perspective on the action movies of the 80s is interesting. He and Arnie pretty much changed the entire genre, and you can't really fault them for, you know, seeing how far they could take that sort of thing. But in movies like Rocky, Rocky and Copland, he, he proves he can really act given the right material, and it's a shame we didn't get to see more of that. Even as an old man now, he's trying to keep his action bonafides instead of looking for more actorly roles, which I sort of thought, you know, the enthusiastic reaction to his performance in that first Creed movie might have led him. Um, you know, that might even be his best performance ever, but oh well. What can you do? He's an interesting guy, and uh, even now in his mid-70s, you watch his doc, and he's kind of magnetic, even when he's just puttering around his house talking about movies. The documentary also has little interviews with Schwarzenegger, Quentin Tarantino, Sly's brother Frank, one of his daughters, a few others. It's fun, an interesting 90 minutes. It does leave you wanting a little bit more in time and substance and spots, but definitely worth checking out if you're a fan of Sylvester Stallone. I'll give Sly on Netflix three couch cushions out of five. Yeah, when you talk about how it, well, this movie was essentially like led by Sylvester Stallone, uh, so it was more of how he wants people to see yeah. him. That kind of that I haven't watched Sly yet, but that's sort of how I felt about the Magic Johnson documentary on yeah. Apple TV Plus. They called me Magic, which uh, I enjoyed, but um, I felt it almost a little self indulgent because it was basically him doing almost all the talking. It was. I wonder if it's just that competitive thing still with all these guys where this Sly documentary was quickly thrown together once he got wind that Arnie was doing the documentary and then the magic one comes on the heels of the Michael Jordan one. He's like, well, if Jordan's doing that, why can't I? You know, so maybe because mm. with all these guys, you know, they're very competitive and I wouldn't put that past any of them. And that's right. The last dance. I mean, Jordan did have a lot of editorial control. Oh, yeah. In that one as well. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but uh, yeah, just even watching the trailer for this Sly documentary, I thought he's being pretty honest here, but but it almost feels like uh, like a 90-minute, I'm going to pat myself on the back. Absolutely. Even That's what my, it is. Even for my mistakes. Yep. And you make a great point. Yeah, <laughs> I, th I thought for sure once Creed came out that that would sort of lead him down yeah. a different lane for his career, but then he makes The Expendables 4. and That superhero movie we saw a couple years ago. On, on Prime. On Prime, yeah, whatever it was called. That was, uh, that that was, was pretty actually pretty cool. It was pretty cool, but uh, I'd rather watch him being an old man giving out sage advice. Samaritan. Samaritan, that's what it was. There it is. Yeah, that's actually not bad. It's, it's kind of low budget. There's not much to it, but it's a pretty cool little movie. Uh, it's not going to blow your mind, but uh, we dug it. So, okay, Sly on Netflix. And here's something else on Netflix that I want to put on your radar. Debuting on Wednesday, November 22nd, it is Squid Game The Challenge. 
You, of course, remember Squid Game, the mm -hmm. South Korea show that pitted 456 people against each other in a variety of life-or-death games where one person emerges the winner to claim the prize of 45.6 billion won, or the equivalent of $39 million U.S. The fiction series caught the attention of pretty much the whole world and is now the biggest show in Netflix's history. Well, now it's been turned into a reality show. Attention players, you will now compete for our biggest cash prize in reality show history. You have got to be kidding me. Oh my god. 4.56 million dollars. People do a whole lot worse for a whole lot less. Four hundred and fifty-six players, four point five six million dollars on the line. The reason I'm telling you about this show is I happened to notice that it was in our Netflix preview content. It's a ten-episode series. They've given us access to the first five, and I watched them this week. Can't give you a full review yet. There's an embargo on that, but I can tell you about the show in some general terms. And I definitely don't want to spoil anything about the show, like what's there and what isn't there. Of course, there is no, you know, killing. It's a game show. There's no blood. There's no gore. There's no people falling to their grisly doom. But I will say this. They have painstakingly recreated the sets to look just like the TV show. Like if you watch the trailer, you might think for a minute, is this season two of Squid Game? Uh, the games play out much in the same way, like the same style. And it's players from around the world, so that's cool. It you know, adds an international flair. And it's good. Like, I was only going to watch a few minutes just to see what it was all about because I didn't even know this was the thing and to see how bad it would be because I thought, how the heck are they going to turn this into a real game? Like, come on. Well, they did, and it works. November 22nd on Netflix, Squid Game, The Challenge. Hopefully, uh, I'll get access to those other five episodes so we can get a review for you soon, but likely have a full review on the November 23rd edition of The Couch Potatoes. Yeah, it's weird. I'm, is this thing's really successful? Are we going to see The Hunger Games, the reality show? or uh, Oh, boy. The Michael Douglas movie, The Game, the reality show, or something like that. <laughs> Any show or fictional show or TV or movie that's had like some weird, crazy game and it becomes an actual thing, that'd be fun. Well, and the fact that they're giving up like $4.56 million as well as the prize, like that's the biggest yeah. prize for a reality show in history, at least according to the producers. And I can't think of one that's been higher than that. So It'll be interesting to see what the demand is. Because remember when Tiger King first came out, everyone went nuts for that and the numbers were way up. Yeah. And then when the sequel or the next series of that, nobody watched it. Yeah. I've still never seen anything after that, and I don't care. It was, but that was also the very beginning of the pandemic, so it was people's viewing habits were kind of weird. Yeah, upside down. well, and it was just such a bizarre show, and yeah. I think we, we were all we all enjoyed the bizarreness of that. But once we got through that first series, uh, we were just like, okay, like I'm good. I don't really need <laughs> to know more. But they 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 made the sequel series, and then they made like a live action. 
or something series yeah. and yeah so that I don't know but uh, with Squid Game I know there there is a season two coming I can't see that being as big as the first one but you never know no. and uh, I recommend this uh, this game show so hopefully the last five episodes are pretty good and I'll give you a full review in a couple of weeks time up next we got to tell you about something that happened on Survivor last week that was really cool and I've got a theory about it not in a bad way. In fact, I kind of hope they did what I think they did, and I hope that they have more tricks up their sleeve. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. I want to talk about something that happened on Survivor last week. Survivor, by the way, Canada's most watched show this fall, Wednesdays on Global. And spoiler alert, if you have not seen last week's episode from November 1st, Season 45, Episode 6, but you want to see it, we are about to discuss what happened. You have been warned. It concerns what happened at Tribal Council and the castaway named Caleb. He played his shot in the dark. Jeff, what is the shot in the dark? Every player gets this uh, six-sided dice, and when it's their turn to vote at Tribal Council, they can opt to not vote, but instead play their shot in the dark. They drop the dice into this container, and they... Inside the container are a number of rolled-up scrolls, and they just get one at random, and they cannot look at it. And then after the votes are read, they, Jeff Probst takes the scroll, and it says either safe or not safe on it. And if you it says safe, then the, any votes against you don't count. If it says not safe, then it means nothing, and everything goes as it normally would. So this, week, this past week, Caleb comes back, and I haven't seen this week's, by the way, so for all I know... Well, I'll I'll finish that thought in a second. But he comes back from the voting booth, and he hands Jeff the scroll that either says safe or not safe. So here's how it went down before the votes were read. Caleb played his shot in the dark, which means there is not a vote in here from Caleb as a one in six shot at safety in the game. Caleb, if this says you are safe, any votes cast against you will not count. If it says you are not safe, any votes cast against you will count. I'll open the scroll. Caleb, you are... No! Caleb is safe. Any vote cast against him will not count. Wow. I'll read the votes. So all 11 votes went on to be for Caleb, which means they had to re-vote, but Caleb was safe, so someone else went home. It was wild. It was one of the wildest things I've ever seen on Survivor. And it had me wondering, was that the result of the producers meddling? Because we never, when they play the shot in the dark, we never see how they get the scroll. They no. just come back with it. Right. So is someone handing it to them, or are they reaching into the thing and choosing from six scrolls? Like, I don't know how it works. And also, until this point, it's never paid off. Yeah. I think one person has, uh, you know, used it where it just didn't matter kind of thing. Like, they were safe, but none of the votes were for them anyway. Yeah. So, so they wasted it. didn't it. matter. And almost every other time, it just says, or every other time, literally, until now, it just said not safe. So they might have been like, I could see them wanting to meddle for a couple of reasons, but one of which just being 
the mechanics of this part of our show has never paid off and it's time that it pays off or we'll have to get rid of it. And they say they don't involve themselves. The host, Jeff Probst himself, it says they don't get involved at all. But I think there's a pretty strong case to be made here that maybe they do occasionally get involved. And in this case, I'd suspect it has to do with the fact that Survivor is a perennial big hit in Canada, way more so than in the U.S. Like when you look at the population of the U.S., 334 million in Canada, 38 million or just under 39 million. So they have like almost 10%, like we're almost, have just over 10% of their population. But Survivor this season has been pulling just under 7 million viewers on average with like a cross platform CBS and Paramount. And in Canada, Survivor would typically get. 1.75, 2 million viewers. Can't seem to find any numbers. Like I was looking at uh, Bill Briou. He's a, a great television. He writes about TV in Canada. And he has done all kinds of research. He confirms Survivor is the most watched show in Canada this fall. But he can't pr- produce any numbers for it. But here's why I think they want might want to keep him and what the Canadian stuff has to do with it. He's a likable player, is Caleb. He's a good-looking dude. And he's Canadian. Like, the name of the episode was, I'm not Batman, I'm the Canadian. He identified himself as Canadian in the show. And I'd be willing to bet a lot of people in the audience didn't know he was Canadian. And if I'm the producers, I'm thinking, the Canadian audience now has a sure bet on someone who they can cheer for. Do we want to let this guy go? So when the opportunity presented itself to potentially save him, if they did that... Good for them because it was a magical moment for the show. And we see this all the time on The Amazing Race, although in the U.S. they've now eliminated the non-elimination leg. But how many times are fun teams saved multiple times during a season yep. on, a, on a non-elimination leg? But when a boring team rolls up last on a non-elimination <laughs> leg, they're gone, guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I don't know. I and you, it makes you wonder what the rule, the, like the laws are about this, because there are game shows have very strict laws in the U.S. because they had a huge scandal 60 years ago or whatever. And the, just since then, they cling to the rules. So there must be some rules, but there must also be some leeway that they can take with their own show. Because, I mean, Survivor changes every season. There's one new facet or another and that type of thing. And I've always wondered about the meddling when they get when. Because at the beginning, when the tribes start shrinking, and it's like one tribe down to two players, we got to mix up the tribes. So they, they, they've been doing it. Why not doing it here? And again, I'm not suggesting they are constantly meddling. And even if they do rarely meddle, like I have no evidence of this. I just, it's a theory. It just feels too lucky that he happened to get the shot in the dark. And we never actually see how that process goes down and that he gets saved when every vote was cast against him. Uh, I just like that it worked out. And if they can have a little bit of influence here or there to make the show more fun to watch, I'm all in on that. Survivor, Wednesday nights on Global. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.